Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last week we covered Wallenstein's diplomacy, which resulted in the alienation of the Spanish as personal allies to him, as well as splitting his command with Bavaria due to his inaction. And then Milan got involved under Feria, which would shift the direction of the war, or at least the reactions, as both sides realized there was an army coming. And with that covered, let's get started. With the approach of Ferry's forces, Sweden was forced to divide their forces to face his threat, as Bernhard continued to fight against the Bavarians, though he was forced to pull back, losing many of the gains the Swedes had before, including Eichstadt. And Horn went south on August 18th, intending to conquer Constance and block the passes into southwest Germany, which would keep that army from approaching. Constance was an Austrian town at the time. It could only be reached by crossing the Upper Rhine River downstream and going through Swiss territory to attack it from the south, as it sat on the southern end of a lake. The Swiss, however, had not chose to join Gustavus. I mean, some Swiss soldiers and smaller people had joined, but the cantons as a whole had not formally signed up for an alliance as it was with the Confederation. And for those who don't know, Switzerland at this time was a confederation of cities, and other things called cantons, and they each had distinct political territory, but they all agreed to work under the same banner for protection and security, which I think are the same words, but the important part is Switzerland was neutral and the cantons sort of had to all agree with each other on certain matters, or at least come to consensus. Switzerland being neutral was not a new thing. The Swiss also mistrusted the fact that Gustavus came in with ideals of giving freedom to Germany, or at least, you know, the public display, which we talked about a long while ago. God, Gustavus was alive back then. But it had shown more realistically that he had goals of imperialism and gaining territory, which, as we showed, was much more realistic for his goals. Horn thought he could infringe on their neutrality using the logic that him capturing Constance would get the Protestant Swiss cantons to join him and block the passes, keeping the approaching army from the south getting to Germany, as it's easier to block a pass with less numbers than if they just march through. He left infantry and gunboats to watch the town from the north and headed into Swiss territory with 10,000 men reaching Constance by September 7th. He began to bombard the next day, but held off on a major assault, which was probably to his detriment. The town only had about 1,200 defenders, and the defenses were focused on the lake, as it relied on Swiss defense and neutrality to guard its southern defenses. By delaying the attack, the defenders were allowed time to build makeshift defenses and grow their numbers to around 3,000 men with reinforcements. Bernhard came south to reinforce Horn, but Feria began to get closer and closer, crossing the passes, making the situation more critical than ever. France tried to mediate terms, saying that the city could be neutral by accepting a Swiss garrison in order to achieve the Swedish goals. Some citizens were actually willing to do that, but the leadership refused, so the fighting would continue. Pretty much every Swiss canton but Zurich felt threatened by the Swedish intervention, as it threatened the neutrality in the war, and they did not want to get pulled into this war, which I admit I would be apprehensive about joining too. They didn't really get involved in the fighting. They didn't attack the Swedes, for example, but they certainly weren't happy. And with those terms rejected that I mentioned earlier, Horn sent costly attacks at the town, but the situation grew worse because Feria, with 9,000 men, linked up with Eldringen, getting 12,000 more men at Ravensburg by September 29th. They pushed towards Uberlingen on the western side of the lake, intending to trap the Swedes in Switzerland. But after a final assault failed, Horn pulled back on October 2nd, narrowly escaping the Imperial Trap. The French tried to claim this was out of courtesy for the Swiss, but everyone knew the Swedes had been beaten at this point. This hurt the Protestant influence in Switzerland, reducing the power of them enough that the Catholic cantons renewed a transit agreement with Spain that had expired in 1626. The cantons even incorporated Spanish, French, Comte, in the neutrality by 1634. In the end, this certainly was, if not a disaster, then a 
big failure on the part of the Swedish. The army of the Imperials from the south had arrived, and the war in Germany had a setback, as I mentioned earlier, and the Shish failed, and the Swedes are now on the back foot, although they managed to escape intact. And as you guys know, as long as an army is intact and the leader's alive, the war can continue, as shown by several rebellions and things like that earlier in the war. However, not everything was as bad as it seemed for the Protestants. With Lorraine falling to the French earlier, which we talked about, the Rhine situation became more dangerous for the Imperials. The French blocked the way with a powerful army in Alsace, allowing the Swedes to rejoin the rest of their forces in Alsace in the area and recuperate. This also trapped Aldrigan and Feria to the south and made it hard to assault the Swedes. Bernhard had also come around again with 12,000 men, taking Regensburg on November 14th after a 10-day siege. This was a major city for the Imperials, and losing it was a major blow to their reputation, as well as allowing Bernhardt to loot and pillage the previously untouched eastern Bavaria, which is not that long, especially for this time period. This was certainly something that would boost the Swedes materially and reputationally, maybe not long term, but it gave them a better base and was definitely a insult to the Emperor and showing how weak he was, or, you know, could be seen as that. With this loss, Aldringen was forced to send his cavalry to reinforce Maximilian in Bavaria, weakening the army on the Rhine. Winter was also beginning to set in, and the Imperials were low on supplies, so they had to recross the Rhine. The Swedes harassed them the entire time. The Habsburg forces began to disintegrate, and people began to desert with all these issues, especially with the plague sweeping through the army. The forces were not allowed to enter Bavaria by Maximilian, fearing the spread of plague, which is fair, I would say. Ferdinand was kind enough to let them into Lower Austria, part of the troops going to Salzburg, but the Archbishop of Salzburg, as said here, or at least one of the priors, said, That was a spectacle. Many companies only half-strength, black and yellow faces, emaciated bodies, half-covered, or hung with rags, or massed in stolen women's clothing, looking just like hunger in need. Yet the officers next to them were handsomely and magnificently dressed. So the men were in bad shape because they had low supplies and pay was not consistent. And the officers were getting rewarded slash had higher standards and stuff they got. So that certainly didn't look good. But it showed just the shape the army was in at this point, just from natural stuff. The Archbishop of Salzburg sent those troops away, who then joined the rest of the troops in Austria. So no one wanted the thousands of troops with plague, which, again, I understand, but doesn't make you look good. And once again, the harsh reality of life and the environment was hitting the armies, and I have no doubt the Swedes were having the same issues, although to a lesser extent as they could bunker up and fortify themselves throughout Germany and spread troops out if they needed to. This was definitely more of a setback for the Imperials than the Swedes, although I can imagine how frustrating this would have been for the Imperials, especially after a victory like that at Constance. But that wasn't the only issue. Unrest was beginning to spread, although this was different than the unrest that had popped up in the war throughout this time. Since the war had spread so far since 1631 and even from the start of it, the nature of the unrest began to change. Previous rebellions and unrest had been more political and religious, but people were getting more and more tired of their life getting disrupted by the war, which I can entirely understand. I mean, not personally, but like from a intellectual standpoint, as, you know, history has been my thing for a long time, so this becomes a regular thing in long wars. Soldiers brought chaos, destruction, and loss of money at worst, and at best, it brought loss of family and friends, especially in a war where everyone was getting drafted. If you were a young man of a high, high teens, you're probably getting drafted into the war. Disease was also widespread, killing more people. As I mentioned, the plague soldiers. Villages would have been more empty than they ever were before. And most of the people doing these revolts, rebellions, were actually uncoordinated commoners. Uncoordinated as in they weren't organizing. They were just making decisions on their own. These commoners focused on ambushing and killing foragers and stragglers 
Commoners, which were relatively easy targets in small numbers, especially if you get a big group of peasants slash commoners. And both sides were experiencing this, but the Swedes got hit particularly hard, as the areas with the biggest breakouts had minimal imperial presence. These murders, or killings, by peasants didn't necessarily cause the Swedes to back down. Instead, the Swedes, and the Imperials probably, did retribution. They would come to a village, kill them, hang people, punish people who did this, to show they can't do that. Even though the soldiers sometimes were abusing the people. Around 4,000 people were killed in Sungau, as the biggest example in the book. This certainly didn't help the look of the soldiers, but this probably wasn't exactly helping their mood to know that their friends or allies were getting killed by peasants. Especially the professional soldiers in the Swedish army. Peasant revolts tended to go badly for them, as fighting organized soldiers was much harder than fighting, you know, stragglers or small group of soldiers. But that wasn't the only reason why people revolted. Others revolted because they felt the authorities were failing in their duty to keep the peace and tranquility. While you and I both know the war made this impossible, and we have a much bigger view on this war, the people on the ground suffering the effects couldn't have known, and at this point, the only way to get the authorities to listen was to fight back. It was particularly strong in Bavaria, actually, as poorly disciplined imperials did their usual thing, people getting tired of it, and people began to protest, particularly in the areas between Isar and Inn, which is where the army of Maximilian was. 20,000 commoners gathered to stop the plague troops from entering Bavaria, but they were quickly crushed on January 18th, 1634, when the troops realized the people were poorly equipped, and uh, you can guess how that goes. 200 people died, and 100 ringleaders were gathered up, though how true that was, and if they were, is not exactly known or reliable. The justice system was a bit different back then. Maximilian was actually convinced to spare them when they said they were doing it in self-defense, though one was beheaded for rebellion and five for killing soldiers, and eleven were exiled for three years, as someone needs to be punished for that, even if that looked bad for everyone. It's awful by today's standards, but that's just how it was back then. It's unfair, and I would say it's unfair, but I can't judge the past by standards. But I can't judge the past by our standards today. That's just not how history works. And on top of that, there were also sporadic outbreaks of rebellion in Upper Austria, but those were limited to the suffering from the worst of the war. This included no longer allowing leeway and not paying taxes on the poorest people, and people don't respond well to having to pay taxes, especially those who just don't have money. A leader called Limehauser, real name Michael Altschinger, claimed he could see visions of a better future encouraging rebellion. This was... A major way in rest was sown in this area. Mainly religious figures would come in and promise things and people would follow them, leading to their deaths or other things. Limehauser had to live on the run, chased by Imperials, and was eventually cornered at the ruins of a Franklinburg castle, facing 1,000 mercenaries, Catholics, and militia. He only had 300 people, 60 of them armored men, the rest women and children. It went badly, as you could tell, and he was allegedly found hiding under the skirts of two women and was quickly captured and executed along with six others, including his four-year-old son. This was certainly rough, and I can't imagine the brutality of all these actions. The war had been getting to everyone, and I would hate my life getting trapped for so long. These soldiers come in, telling what to do, taking your stuff, sleeping in your house, potentially doing stuff to family members or your children, your son getting taken, your brother, your uncle, other male family members, especially for a woman. It probably wasn't good for everyone. The war had been going for 15 years now, and it's only getting worse, spreading further and further, and as will be shown in the next year or two, it's going to spread even further than that. This is not new, and in long wars, this tends to be the thing, especially back then. Modern war is a bit different in that angle, but in the wars like this, this was just how it was. 
But next week, we move back to Wallenstein as his chapter begins to come to a close. The work continuing into 1634. I want to thank you all for listening in, and I hope you're enjoying it. Social media links will be in the description or in the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder that of a Patreon. Thanks to those who support me. Interview and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>